The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open with me to the book of Exodus, and we will uh, jump into the first few verses today of chapter 6 uh, of Exodus. Uh, I want to say I'm so appreciative of, uh, of Austin, who took the lead uh, this morning and kind of leading us to worship and to see the glory of our God. Austin is a North Greenville student, and he's here kind of interning with us as part of his educational requirements and, and sitting kind of under uh, the tutelage, how's that for a big word, uh, of, of Ethan. And I'm so thankful that Ethan is, is humble enough to, to get out of the way and to say, um, Austin, take the lead. Uh, we, we want you to see. One of the things I want you to hear and know as your pastor is that you don't pay us to do everything. You pay us a lot of times to get out of the way. Uh, read Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, part of our role is to equip the saints for the work of, of Christ. And so we want to do that. And I'm so appreciative that God is continuing to send young people our way, but also that there's a call on all of us to use our lives to make much of him. So whether you are a senior adult in the room or whether you're a child in the room uh, or somewhere in between, uh, you're called to use your life, to use your gifts uh, in the context of the body to make much of him so that we might stir one another up, to push one another on toward Christ and that we might go from this place and invite others to know the hope that we have in Christ. Amen? Well, that was the mini-sermon. That wasn't a sermon. That was just sort of a, a tangent, a rant that I go off on. So uh, let, me, let, me, uh, let me just kind of direct your attention. And um, we, we want to look today at Exodus chapter 6, really verses chapter 5, verse 22 through 6, verse 9 is where we're intending to go today. And I've titled the sermon, Where There's a Will, There's a Won't. And uh, I want you to see here today the centrality of the Word of God and that we are called to believe the Word of God. Simple as that. And that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do is just to trust the Lord, just to believe Him, just to believe Him in the face of circumstances that scream to the contrary, To, to believe Him in the face of a culture that laughs at us, to believe him in this day, this age, believing that he's coming again, that his word is true. So that's what I want us to look at today. Uh, where there's a will, there's a won't. Let's begin and let's just read through our passage today. Chapter 5, verse 22, we'll go 6 through 9, or chapter 6, verse 9. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And Moses goes off on a tangent here and, and sort of rants at God and it's, it's coming on the heels of, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's, it's, getting, it's coming on the heels of the 
foreman of the Israelites who come to Moses and Aaron and say, let the Lord judge between us and you. Let, let him judge you, for you have made us stink to Pharaoh. You've put a sword in his hand to kill us. And God comes back and says, you think you stink now. You haven't begun to stink. I'm going to make you stink so bad that he will throw you out of his house. You ever had a, something in, in your house? Somebody threw something in the garbage can and you can't figure out where it is to finally you find it. And that thing's got to go, right? And, and maybe that was your husband. I don't know. But, I mean, but that's, that's kind of the picture here. Verse 2 of chapter 6. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them land, the land of Canaan, land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel from whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered, that's a key phrase, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses picks himself up and he goes and he speaks to the Israelites. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. When Moses went to Pharaoh for the first time, he knew Pharaoh wouldn't listen. God had told him so. God had told him in chapter 3, verse 19, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. In fact, God went even further than that in chapter 4, verse 21, and said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he won't, so that he won't let you go. And we've talked at length about what God is doing in that. If you miss those and you want to catch up, you can go to our podcast and you can hear those sermons. But what Moses didn't anticipate, he knew going in Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. He wasn't going to to let the people go. But what he didn't anticipate was the blowback against the Israelites. He, He fully expected to go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh to shut him down. But what he didn't see was how it would hurt his brethren. He didn't didn't anticipate that. He didn't see that Pharaoh would get angry and that he would say, okay, we're not going to provide any more straw for you. You're going to have to get your own straw, provide your own building materials, but guess what? You're going to have to produce the same number of bricks. He didn't see how when the Israelites couldn't keep up that pace because now their attention is diverted from actually making bricks to now having to go and gather their materials, how then it would come back on the foreman, his own brothers who were put over groups of Israelites and how they would be beaten for this. He didn't anticipate how they would stand before him bruised and bloodied and say, the Lord judge, you've made a stink before Pharaoh and you've put a sword in his hand to kill us. Moses doesn't anticipate that and he can't. Verse 22 shows us a Moses who is questioning everything. 
He's, he's questioning the good intentions of God. He's, why have you done evil to this people? He's questioning his own calling. Is, is this why you sent me here? And everybody who's been called of God and, and every minister of God knows the experience of having your call come into question. Come up against people that are so obstinate or against circumstances that are so obstinate that you wonder, is, is this why you brought me here? Am I the proverbial mouse that the cat just plays with? God, did you send me here to just be tortured? Moses is questioning whether God is really sovereign over Pharaoh at all or whether it's the other way around. He says, since I've come here, Pharaoh's done all kinds of evil and you've done nothing, God. Are you powerless against him? And while we may read into some, some of what Moses is saying and add to that the, that the text is not exactly saying, we can imagine that these things are probably running through Moses' head. And then I would say to you, maybe you've been there as well. Maybe you've come to a place where you've done what you felt God was leading you to do, but before it got better, it only got worse. Maybe you were developing a relationship with a friend at school or a friend who was a neighbor or, and things were progressing pretty well. But up to this point, the gospel had not been part of the conversation and you finally got the nerve to share your faith and to, and to talk to them about the Lord. And maybe they listened politely, but they seemed very disinterested and now it's only awkward between you. Maybe you're here in you're a young lady or possibly even uh, a young, young man in our, in our fellowship today, and, and um, you've had opportunities to, to meet and to date, but they've always been people who were not believers. And you have a conviction that says uh, Christians are to marry Christians, that I don't want to be unequally yoked. And so you've, you've kind of held off and you've pushed those opportunities away, saying, God, when are you going to send me that one, when are you going to send me a believer that I might unite with? But there's nobody on the horizon. There seems to be nobody coming. Maybe at work you've reported unethical behavior with one of your coworkers to a manager or to a boss, and you, you labored over it because you didn't want to be that guy or that girl at work, but you just felt like as a Christian it was the right thing to do, and so you reported it, but your boss wouldn't listen and now it's gone public, and you've been labeled as a troublemaker. See, there are all sorts of things that you and I can do that we know God's calling us to do because the Word of God speaks to that. And the Bible never, never, never gives us a guarantee that when we follow the Lord, that things will get better. And we live in a, in a dynamic, in a context where there are all sorts of voices saying, just follow the Lord, and your life will get sweet and and it, it'll be fun, and you'll be happy. And the reality is, in this world that is violently opposed to God, this world will hate those who follow him. So Moses here is questioning everything, and I want us today to be encouraged today by God's response to Moses' crisis of faith questions that he asks. Those questions coming in verse 22 of chapter 5, God responds in these first nine verses of, of chapter 6. I want to give you three things that we can take away from this today. The first is this. The first thing, notice, the first thing that God gave Moses when his confidence was wavering was his word. 
The very first thing that God gave to Moses when his confidence was wavering was his word. In verse 1 of chapter 6, but the Lord said to Moses. He doesn't start with more signs and wonders. He doesn't say, oh, okay, Moses, I know I gave you the the throw the stick on the ground thing, turn to snake, pick it up, it turns back to a stick. I know I gave you that. Stick your hand inside your your jacket and pull it out, it becomes leprous. Put it back in again, pull it out, it's it's clean again. I know I gave you that. Pour some water on the blood, uh, on the ground, and it becomes blood thing. So Moses, those weren't enough, so let me give you a few more little miraculous signs and wonders that will amaze you. God doesn't start there. God doesn't give Moses any more signs or wonders. He starts with his word. The Lord said to Moses. He simply speaks. First to Moses in verses 1 through 5, and then through Moses to the Israelites in verses 6 through 8. This should be a strong lesson to us. When we feel our confidence wavering, the very first place that you and I should go is to his word. Every time. Oftentimes we go so many other places, we're guilty of going so many other places, and we can even spiritualize those and say, well, maybe I should, maybe I should pray about it. And prayer is certainly a good thing, but the Bible never says that when you're doubting, when you're wavering in your confidence to pray. Instead, what the Bible says, Romans 10, 17 So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. If you're in a place where your faith is waning and you're struggling with with faith, you're struggling to believe, the place to turn is the Word of God. Faith comes. It's not just bolstered. It's not just that your faith will be strengthened or built up or supported or undergirded. It's that faith will be produced in you. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Isaiah 55, very familiar, and I'm going to read it in the ESV, but you probably know it in the King James. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. If you know it in the King James, it shall not return void. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Church, we are so guilty sometimes of going to other places. We talked about this in, in our Sunday school class this morning, and I'm so thankful. I told Scotty after our class today that, that I, I'm, so many times I come in here and, and I'm, I feel like I've prepared and I've done all that I'm, I, I can do, and I'm ready and I'm dependent on God, and I'm so thankful that God often speaks through my Sunday school teacher to sort of fill in some of those gaps that I didn't even realize were there. And, and that's, that's the beauty. That's the necessity of you being in a Sunday school class in a small group. It's because you won't get discipled. You will miss things. You will, you will not come along the way you should come along if you're simply walking in this room, sitting down, listening, and then leaving. There's something about getting into a, a group with, with another, just a group of people where you just sort of do life with them. And the Word is central to it all. And God begins to shape you. So if you're not in a Sunday school class, if you're somewhere else 
maybe in the building somewhere, but you're just, you're just not going into a Sunday school class, let me, let me just beg you and implore you, get plugged in. And that's the second mini-sermon that wasn't on my notes today, so hopefully we won't have too many more of those. But we often go so many other places. We, we go to the Internet. We talked about that today in our class. We go to other books. We go to friends. We even go to prayer. But as I've said, the only place God has said that faith springs from is from His Word. And there are some great books out there, and I'm not telling you to not read because we, we've just last week introduced a, a resource corner for you, and we've put good, solid books over there. But we in no way intend for you to substitute the Word of God with the writings of men and women that we put on that shelf out there. The Word of God has to be central. It is life. The first thing God gave Moses when his confidence was wavering was his word. Secondly is this. God's word is only as good as God's character. God's word is only as good as God's character. We know this to be true of people, don't we? You ever been burned so many times by somebody telling you something, you think, I'd be a fool to believe what they're telling me now. And there are little phrases that we use that would, that would tip us off. They say, I promise. Trust me. Or my favorite, I'm not lying. If you're not lying, why do you feel the need to tell me you're not lying? Is there something in your character that would betray you? See, a person's word is only as good as his character, and that is also true of God. Here God starts by telling Moses who he is. He doesn't start with just this word of wisdom or this word of instruction, but he starts with this word of himself. He starts with his character and he says to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I didn't reveal myself to them. Now, this should be problematic for us. There's two different names here. God Almighty, God says, I revealed myself to Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, the Lord, I did not reveal myself to them. God Almighty, El Shaddai, Lord, Yahweh. Now, this is problematic because it doesn't take us very long to walk back through Genesis and to see multiple times over where God calls himself Yahweh, the Lord. When you look in your Bible and you see this Lord spelled out, you're going to notice that all the other words around it, if, if it's a good translation, all the other words, words around it are, um, they're, they're, they use letters the way we always use letters. Lowercase, where lowercase is, is demanded. Uppercase, where uppercase is demanded. But here, the word Lord, all four letters are in the uppercase. And this is pointing us to this divine name of God, Yahweh. Well, we can walk back through Genesis and see where God has used this name before. Genesis 2, all the way back, all the way back in the, in the very beginning in Genesis 2, where God's telling the story of creation. In verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they, when they were created in the day that the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, God made the earth and the heavens. 
Chapter 4, verse 1 of Genesis says, Now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. All capitals, Yahweh. In Genesis 15, all through this, this, this passage, 1 through 13, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. Chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord. Chapter 15, verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, See, here's the problem is we read this in Exodus chapter 6 and we think, we just caught God in a lie. This is what what those who are uninformed and, and come to the text, come to the Bible, thinking that it is not a divine book, they point to things like this and say, see, see, the Bible contradicts itself. See, God himself said, I didn't use that name. But we've just seen in Genesis that he did. Is God's character tarnished here from the outset? Well, I would tell you this. If, if God is talking about the Word itself, the actual letters that make up the Word, then certainly. If God's saying here the actual Word, Yahweh, I never used that before, it's the equivalent of, of anybody else taking the stand and lying under oath. But maybe God's talking about something else. Maybe God is is here saying more than just the letters that make up the word. Maybe he's pointing to something bigger that the word represents. Like like what the word says about him. And, And let me give you an example to help illustrate this because you may think, well, you're speaking here out of both sides of your mouth. You all know me as Scott. You all know me in sort of one aspect of that. You hear Scott Ogle and you think, Pastor. Does my wife only think Pastor when she hears Scott Ogle? No. She knows a different part of me that you will never know. She hears Scott Ogle and she hears husband. She hears Scott Ogle and she hears father of my children. She hears Scott Ogle and she hears best looking man on the planet. (laughs) Right? I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily think that, but she does. I'm, I promise you she does. <laughs> See, here's, I think, what God's doing. I think God is saying, I revealed myself to them, but only part of me. You're about to see another part of me that I've not shown yet. This is exactly what I believe he's doing. And I can't prove it to you, but I think this is what he's doing. He's going to show a part of his character that the patriarchs never got to see. That now Moses and Israel are about to experience it. See, the the answer's in the text. Remember what I said a minute ago? The word is central. Look at the word. Look at at verse 4. In verse 4, God said to him, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the, the land in which they, were, they lived as sojourners. 
Well, let me ask you this question. God made the promise to them. I'm going to give you that land. Genesis 15, Genesis 17. God promises Abram a land for his descendants. But did the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did they ever inherit or possess that land? No. They lived there as sojourners. So what we're saying is, I think what the text here is saying is God is saying, I revealed myself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as promised maker. But Moses, what you're about to see is you're going to see me as promised keeper. You see, that's in the text as well in verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. That word remember in the language means not just a fond memory. God's not just sitting there going, oh, I remember that day. That was a good day. Instead, God is, what it means is, I am now ready to act. I made the promise to them. They never saw me as promise keeper. But Moses and Israel, you are frustrated and you are embarrassed and you are hurting at the moment. But you're about to know me in a way that I've never shown myself. I'm going to show you that I keep my promises. The lesson here for us should be so strong. When we want a way out, God wants us to know him. He wants us to know that He is indeed trustworthy. He wants us to know that He doesn't make promises that He doesn't keep. You and I don't have to worry here. We're we're sitting here in a similar place that Moses and the Israelites are in. We've been promised a land. But we don't yet live in that land. We don't possess that land yet. We talked in Sunday school this morning about heaven and should we strive for heaven on earth? Well, to a degree, yes. But to a degree, it would be idolatrous to do so because we would turn this world into something that it was never meant to be. This world in which we live was never meant to be our permanent home. But God has promised us a home that is coming, that heaven is coming, where we will live with him eternally. But we live in this day where we've already been given that promise, but we've not known him as promise keeper yet. But God wants us to know in this day, in this age, where we still deal with sickness and death and lies and pride and attitudes and all those things around us, in this day, God wants us to know there's coming a day where I'm going to keep my promise. You keep hanging on. You keep trusting me. He wants us to step out of the trees of our circumstance and to look at the forest of his faithfulness. Sometimes we get in the middle of our circumstances and all we can see is that and that and that. And what we need is to desperately back up from it all for God and His grace to snatch us away from it so that we might just get the perspective that He has, that He is fulfilling His promises, that He's made a promise. And this this whole thing is not about you and it's not about me, but thank God we've been invited into that. And that he's going to all the way to its end. And right now, we're right here. But he will keep his promise. Amen? What God wants us to see is when our confidence is wavering, he first gives us his word. And before it's a word of instruction, it's a word of him. Third, 
God's word is filled with incredible promises. God's word is filled with incredible promises. God gives Moses here in Israel um, a sevenfold promise. Seven times he says, I will. Don't miss that. I will. 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 He's answering Moses in grace. Again, he doesn't start with signs and wonders. He already did that. And it lasted for how long? About a minute. Moses and Aaron come before the elders of Israel and they they perform these signs that God gave them. And they believed and they rejoiced. But how quickly that belief faded. God knows that it will never be sustained on the miraculous. That it will be sustained on his word. So God here gives Moses a sevenfold promise. Number one, he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Not Moses, not Pharaoh. It's interesting that when the foremen are, are beaten for not making quotas, instead of going back to Moses and going back to God, instead, who do they go to? They go to Pharaoh. They go to their taskmaster and expect their taskmaster to let them go. Nobody's going to let them go. Nobody's going to bring them out from under the burdens of the Egyptians except God himself. I will. And I want you to see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you as I walk through these, all these seven promises of God, I want to show you how Jesus is the yes and amen of all of these. Because this story in Exodus is a story that really happened in history, but it is meant to point us to the bigger story of the greater Moses that would come, being Jesus himself. So how does, how does Jesus fulfill this promise to bring us out from under the burdens of the Egyptians? Well, we're not slaves in Egypt, but Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus himself said, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give them rest. Jesus talked about the fact that he would set the captives free. God here to Moses says, I will deliver you from slavery to them. The Israelites were were under real bondage in Egypt. You may not be a slave in Egypt. You may not be forced in your daily life to get up and do nothing but make bricks. But nevertheless, your bondage is real. The Bible talks about that the one who practices sin is a slave to sin. You ever deal with anything in your life that you think, I wish I could quit? I wish I could stop that. Why do I I keep going back there? Why do I keep doing that? Why? Why? Why do I do do this? Well, the Bible teaches, God here says to Moses, this real slavery in Egypt that you are under, I'm going to set you free. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. God here thirdly says to Moses, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. The Bible reserved the right here. What God's talking about here is God's talking about these, the, the plagues that we're going to get into. That he's going to perform these plagues and he's going to, he's going to wield his strong hand. 
And he's going to make them stink so bad in the nostrils of Pharaoh that Pharaoh can't stand them in his house and he will drive them out. And what what he's saying here when he says, I will redeem you, we have to kind of look at the larger context of Scripture. And in Scripture, there's the principle of the kinsman redeemer. In, In the Bible, it was reserved for a close family member to be able to redeem or to buy someone out of slavery. If they'd had to sell themselves as as a slave, then it was the responsibility and the privilege of a close family member to purchase them out. We see this in the case of, 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 uh, of Ruth. Well, here, how does Jesus fulfill this? Ruth said, chapter 4, verse 14, or those who were speaking to her said, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. When Boaz comes along, she has a Redeemer. Guess what? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, in him. In who? Boaz again? No, in Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. What this means is that Jesus doesn't look on us and say, they're not part of me. I don't have anything to do with them. I'm I'm not a kinsman to them. They're in their slavery. Let them stay in their slavery. Instead, Jesus looks from all eternity and decides that he will come, that he will be the kinsman redeemer for all who would ever believe. Chapter or fourth in this is, is uh, God says to Moses, I will take you to be my people. These are great just packed full words here to Moses. I will take you to be my people. Do you understand that the Israelites were nobody's people? They were nobody's. Nobody wanted them except for slavery. And God here said, the God, the one who is about to tear down this stacked up pyramid of false gods in Egypt, the one who's about to show himself sovereign over all, that God comes to them and says, I will take you to be my people. Jesus, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do you know that in Christ, through faith, Jesus says, come to the table. You're mine. I'll make you my people. Do you know that as the Israelites had no people, they were a people with no people that in the same way you and I in our sin are that way? And God looks on us in love and adopts us and brings us into his family. Fifth, here to Moses, I will be your God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, to the church of Jesus Christ, God says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. 6 to Moses, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. John 14, verse 3, and if I, Jesus, go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The Israelites were at this point still, after all these years, not in the land God had promised, but God says, I'm going to take you there. I'm going to take you out of here and I'm going to take you there. Jesus says the same thing to us. 
Number seven, to Moses and ultimately to the Israelites, I, God says, will give it to you for a possession. It's not that he's just going to take them into this land, but he's going to give it to them. This is a people who didn't have a people, and they also never had a land. They didn't have a territory. They didn't have a place to call their home. They were sojourners. I will give it to you for a possession. And Jesus fulfills this. 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here's what I, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that God says... Moses, here's who I am. You've never known me. No one has ever really known me in the full way of me being a promise keeper, but you're about to know me as promise keeper. So now that you know that, go and tell the people, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. I will seven times. The second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 says, for all the promises of God, all the promises of God, Find their yes in him. So when we read in Exodus chapter 6 of these promises God's making, we fast forward to Jesus. All these promises are yes in Jesus. All of them. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Philip Graham Ryken, who is a Presbyterian pastor, Um, in his commentary on this, wrote, When Jesus said to his Father, Here I am, I have come to do your will, O God, according to Hebrews 10, 7, he was gathering up the I wills of salvation and making them his own. Jesus was saying, I will save you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will make you my own. I will give you a glorious inheritance. When I read that, I was taken aback. I was just this picture of Jesus before he leaves the throne room of heaven to come and be the incarnated God, Emmanuel, God with us. I couldn't help but just picture this in my mind, that God, Jesus, standing up and sort of strapping on a tool belt and just sort of picking up these, I'll do that, and I'll do that. And I'll do that, and I'll do that. And he just loaded it himself up, and he came And he went to the cross. He lived a perfectly righteous life. And he went to the cross and died a death he didn't deserve. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father again, promising to one day come again to bring all those who have believed to be where he is to live with him eternally. Jesus is the great yes and amen. Well, here's the the last thing. I told you three. I want to give you four. Here's the fourth. And this is quick. God's word is useless to us if it's not believed. God's word is useless, and I put in parentheses, to us, because God's word is never useless. God said there in Isaiah 55, it will never return to me void. But to us, it is useless to us if we don't believe. That's what we read here. It's what we learn in verse 9 of chapter 6. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. 
After hearing of the the character of God and the promises of God, Moses goes and he speaks the words of God to Israel, but it did them no good because they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't believe. I, I can't help but to look at that and think how many have sat time and time and time again and heard the very word of God or, or opened the Bible in moments of desperation and read the Word of God, or, or opened the Bible in moments of quiet time and read the Word of God, or listened to a sermon in a podcast or on the radio and heard the Word of God, but walked away and didn't believe. See, you can, in this room, amen. But a verbal amen in this place is put down and trumped by a life that says, oh no. See, belief is not simply verbal. It's not just you coming in this place and, and agreeing with the pastor or, or nodding at the pastor when you, when you when make eye contact with him. I don't mean nodding off. I mean when I scan the room and I look at you and you feel the need to you know, nod at me you know, to show me that, that you're paying attention, it does you absolutely no good. You know, I, and, and please don't do this, but I've never, like, scanned the room and made eye contact with somebody and somebody's going, no. You know, <laughs> it's always, yes, yes, I agree, right? It's Ray, Ray Fowler, he's, he's on the bubble, you know, he's, he's not going to make the brackets today. But, you know, uh, the rest of you, it does you no good. It does us no good to affirm and to agree if what we're building with that with one hand we're going to pull back down with the other when we walk out of this place. See, the reality is they never believed. If we go forward and we read in the New Testament, we read in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? talking about the Israelites here that are going to come out in the Exodus. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. See, here's the stark reality for you, church, today. There are some of you who have never You've never fully believed. You know all the tenets of doctrine. You know all the right answers. You know all the Sunday school answers. You can spout them off. You could write a paper. You could write a dissertation. You can articulate the gospel, but for you, you've never believed. The result is the same. If the children of Israel who were given time and time and time and time again to hear the word of God and believe and trust, if they were not permitted to enter into the promised land, then what makes you think you will? God in his justice can't permit it. If he could, why did he send Jesus? We could have avoided that whole cross thing and the suffering there. If he can just, at the last minute, wipe everything away and nod you in. 
It's interesting to me, it was heartbreaking for me when I read this, what, what caused them to not listen to God and what also causes us not to listen to God. They didn't listen to God because of their broken spirit. It's possible to have been under something tragic and hard for so long that you're just broken and you just don't have the will to believe. You just don't have the trust to believe anymore. It's been so long. And I have to tell you to believe, to trust. There's stories all through this congregation. Just a few weeks ago, Simone Kersko, and we're hoping to get this story on, on video for you, but Simone Kersko, who was, who was raised up north, who was raised in a Jehovah's Witness family, who's been praying for her father for years and years and years. Just a few weeks ago, her father came to know Christ. That's good, isn't it? Some of you are under something right now and you're just broken and you think there's no way. I, I just, I don't have the strength within me. Then let his strength be your strength. He promised, cast your burdens on me. All who are weary, come to me, I'll give you rest. They also didn't listen because of their harsh slavery. It wasn't, this is a little different than them being broken under the weight of it. They're just in the middle of it. They just can't seem to, to, to get out from under it. And this is a little different, but they're still called to believe. Moses, it, next week as we look at verses 10 forward, Moses is not going to believe because of past failure. Moses is going to say to God, very similar to what he said before, listen, if the Israelites didn't believe me, then why would Pharaoh believe me, God? I failed there, God. The Bible reveals another reason why we often don't believe, and it's not in this text itself, but I couldn't resist pulling it in, and it's hidden sin. John chapter 3, verse 20 says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light, lest his works should be exposed. Some of you are refusing to believe because when you sit around the Word of God, when you sit under the Word of God, when you listen to the Word of God, it convicts your life. It convicts something that's going on there, and, and you don't want to give that thing up. So you don't want to come into the light of the Word of God because it may call you to give it up. These are all things that, that God says in His Word calls us to not listen to Him. But whatever the cause, here's what I want you to walk away with. Whatever the cause that, that is right now causing you not to listen and believe the Word of God, we've got to be aware, church. Every one of us has to be aware that the default position of our natural heart is to not believe. It's where we go. This is why the Israelites saw the, the, the miraculous signs and were happy and believed, but when hard times came, they fell back into disbelief. We've got to understand that on our own, if we're not constantly under the Word of God, taking in the Word of God, coming to the Word of God so that the Word of God can produce faith within us, we will naturally go back to that place where we don't believe. That's where we will go. We need the Word of God. The result of disbelief is still the same today. The position of our heart is still the same today. Take God at His Word. He is trustworthy and He is worthy of your worship. Are you at a place right now this morning where you are too desperate or too restless or life's too dark 
for you to hear the Word of God. And as your pastor, in all love, I tell you that now is the most important time to listen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, we know that you love us. Your word tells us so. And Lord, so many times we, we feel like we need more than that. We need you to show us. And God, when we come to that, we realize you've shown us. You've shown us a thousand times a day throughout all of our lives. You've shown us in a great and glorious way when Jesus went to the cross. But God, I I pray today that we would not be people that, that live by sight. Not yet anyway. But that God, in these days where we are in the already but the not yet, where we know you as promise maker, but there are some promises that have not yet been kept. Lord God, I pray that you'd make us a people who believe, who trust, who cling, who go on with just as much a calling on our lives to follow you and bear fruit in our lives as Moses had on his. Lord, make us believe, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity just to reflect and respond. Um, I don't know what it is that God may be saying to you or calling you to. Maybe there's something specific in your life where you've just been wrestling. You know what his word says, but you've just been wrestling. You don't want to believe it. Maybe today you need to just take a step and say, God, help my unbelief. Help me to believe. Maybe you're here today and and you've heard the gospel for the first time. And I, I... I don't mean, you know, maybe, maybe you've heard the gospel articulated to you all through your life, but today you heard it for the first time. And today you know that the only reasonable response is for you to give your life to this one, to give your life to God. And you'd like to know, how do I go out doing this? How do I receive the forgiveness and the hope and the assurance that you talk about, Pastor, I'd be glad to talk with you. I'd be glad to help you. I'd be glad to listen and, and guide you through that. I'll be seated down here on the front row. Feel free when, when, uh, when Ethan and Austin begin to lead us to sing and respond to just get up and come to me. Feel free to get up and, and go to others. There'll be people in this prayer room that are out in these doors. If you just need some brothers and sisters just to pray with you, we're matching up women with women there and men with men there. And sometimes I'm sure they probably huddle up more than that in a mixed group, but, but feel free to go and, and to pray. Let's ask God, regardless of what we do, regardless of, of anything else, let's ask God to make us a church, make us a people that believe, that trust his word, that hunger and yearn for his word. Let's do that. Let's worship God as we respond to him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.